You know how I know he ain't never going to leave me nor forsake me? Because he said he wasn't. He never has. He never will. If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to look at a passage from Proverbs chapter 6. Before I read it, there's not a doubt in my mind in today's world, the trouble, the filth, the turmoil, the garbage, there's not a doubt in my mind that God is looking to do something great. There's not a doubt in my mind that God is looking for a church. Now, I realize the church is God's church, and the church is all around the world. But there's not a doubt in my mind that God is looking for a church that will be what he planted them there to be. A lighthouse to a community. Hope to the hopeless. Help to the hurting. Somebody to reach out and love and make a difference. And I believe that God's looking for a church. And we've been praying for a long time. God, help us to win Troop County, Georgia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to make a difference in LaGrange, Georgia. Use us for a lighthouse. You didn't put us up on this hill to be hidden. You put us on the hill for a reason. And so we've been praying, God, help us to be a lighthouse in LaGrange, Georgia. Sometimes, sometimes before God can use you to do something great. You know, it's been said that before God can use you greatly, that he has to hurt, he has to break you deeply. You ever heard that? Sometimes we're not quite ready to be used because we're not broken yet. We've got too much stuff going on, too many things going on. Listen, I, I, the power of God that moved in here last Sunday, I, I can only thank God and, and hope that I'd ever get to be in that kind of presence again. And then he shows up in here again this Sunday. See, I believe God's looking to do something. And I believe he's looking to do something with this group of people. I believe he's looking to do something with this church. Paul Hutchins taught me something one time. Paul Hutchins taught me a lot. But he talked about concrete. And he said he liked working with children. I've shared this with you before, but in case you had not heard, he said he liked working with children because they like wet concrete. You know, if you knows anything about working with people with concrete, you can shape concrete. You can put it in whatever mold. You can make it whatever form you want. You can write your name in it. You can draw in it. Do whatever you want with wet concrete. It's easier to shape. It's easier to make into something. He said, that's what children's lives are like. They're, they're younger. They're easier to, to shape. But, but when you get old, hard-headed, stubborn, and no account like me, we're like some hard, set-up, 25-year-old concrete. Now, concrete can be changed even when it's old. But it takes a hammer, sledgehammer, chisels, jackhammers, concrete saws. It can still be changed. It just takes a lot of work. And, and when it gets older like that, all the chiseling and the chipping, sometimes those things hurt. So I, I just, are you willing to let me take this book and love on you with it this morning? Now understand to take this book and love on you with this book may be like a hammer and a chisel. I, to, to take this book and to love on you with this book may not be exactly what you got up this morning looking for in a pat on the back. The Apostle Paul, I, I believe one of the greatest saints to have ever lived, we know that he is the penman of 13 books of the New Testament, right? We, we know that the Holy Spirit of God used him to write 13 epistles, 13 Letters. Now understand, everything that he wrote is a letter to the church. The Holy Spirit used him to go into a city, evangelize a city. He preached the name of Jesus. I don't have time to preach that sermon. But he didn't preach about coat and tie. He didn't preach about hair. He didn't preach about kind of music. He didn't preach about all the garbage that the church is so caught up fighting about today. He preached the name of Jesus Christ. And he changed cities. And he built churches in cities. But the reason he wrote letters, <clears throat> in every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he addressed problems in the church. 
In, in every letter that he wrote, he wrote to the church addressing some things that were going on in the church. Now, you have to understand, everybody in the church wasn't doing what he wrote about, but everybody had to read the letter. Everybody in there wasn't guilty of the things going on, but some of them were guilty of some of the things going on. So the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to send letters into the churches about things that were going wrong that God wanted made right. And here's the reason God wants things made right. Because he's looking to use you and I. He's looking to change this world one soul at a time. He's looking to make something special out of you and I. In order to do that, he's got to teach us some things. Well, here in our text this morning in Proverbs chapter 6, I want to read just a handful of verses here beginning in verse number 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I want to look at a message for just a few minutes this morning on the things that God hates. God, thank you so much that we are your people. Thank you that we stand here brothers and sisters in Christ, redeemed in the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Thank you that all of our sins are washed away, that all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank you that we can come in here, that we can come into your throne room and pray. Thank you that you love us in spite of us. Thank you that your precious, sweet, holy presence would fall in this place this morning. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this letter. Thank you, God, for the love that you displayed at Calvary's cross and continue to display in this day in every storm that you bring us through and every fire that you walk through and every lonely valley that you carry us through, God. Thank you, Father. I pray now as you take your word, would you teach it to us, God? I pray you'd speak to every heart in here about whatever it is, God. You know every heart. and Do what only you can do. May your Holy Spirit flow through this place and speak to each one of our hearts, God, as we need to be spoken to. We love you. We thank you, God. We trust you this morning to shape us and mold us and make us into the image that you would have us to be. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. You know, a few weeks ago, we looked at a message from Micah chapter 6. Our text came from verse number 8. We looked at a message on God's expectations, and we talked about what does God expect from you and I. We looked at things that, that, that what, does, what does God require of you and I as children of God. You know, we think of big things, big ministries, things you got to do or, or you got to get involved in stuff. We think of all these things, that that's what God wants us to do to serve him. But we looked at the text that morning that simply says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The context of the message that morning was simple. You want to please God? Just do right. You want to live a life? You want God to be able to look down from heaven and smile? You want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You want God to be pleased with your life? Just do right. Just love God first. Put God first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says on, all, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophet. So what we looked at, you want to please God? Just do right. How many of you would be proud of your children if they grew up and became a world-renowned surgeon? And they made a difference in the lives of thousands of people. They saved many sick, and they made a difference all around the world. Wouldn't you be proud of your children? Would you be proud of your children if they became a real lawyer? Not one of these television nutcases that's trying to get everybody to sue everybody over something else so they can get money they don't deserve. But, but I mean, one that really made a difference in the world, made a difference in the government, made a difference in our surroundings. Most of us would probably even be proud if they just became a professional athlete, right? I mean, what a quicker way to be a millionaire. Wouldn't, wouldn't we be proud of our children? Let me ask you something. Are you any less proud of them if they grow up to be a good father or a good husband, a good, a good wife? Are we any less proud of them if they just learn how to grow up and work hard, treat people with respect, love their neighbors, get up every day and just make a good, hard, honest living? Are we any less proud of them for just being good? God's the same way with his children. He loves you and I unconditionally. All he requires of us is that we just do right. 
But then we looked at another message. We looked at what is it like to be like Jesus? Oh, we look at this complicated task on how in the world can you be like Jesus? Well, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. You want to be like Jesus? Treat people right. You want to be like Jesus? Just go about doing good. The text goes on, so there's got to be more. Oh, there is. It says that he was healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You and I can do that. You know how to heal all that are oppressed of the devil? Tell them about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else matters. Everything. You want to heal those that are oppressed? You want to help a dark and dreary world? You want to help a world that is perverted and sick and undone and backwards and upside down? Tell them about Jesus. So all we got to do to be like Jesus is just go about doing good and tell the world about Jesus. Now our text this morning comes from the book of Proverbs. The book of wisdom, one of the books of wisdom of the Bible, the, the, the unifying theme of Proverbs here is wisdom for right living. The majority of the Proverbs are, are just sayings that are meant to teach us lessons about attitudes. They're, they're meant to teach us lessons about behavior. The Proverbs are just a series of sayings, and honestly, they're just meant to teach us about life in general. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is stated clearly in chapter 1, Verse number two says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtly to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Verse number seven says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. You know what the fear of the Lord is? Wisdom. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. In chapter 4, Proverbs tells us how to have a healthy life. Solomon says, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Solomon had learned a lot of lessons in life, and some of them he learned the hard way. Anybody got an amen left in you? Anybody learned any hard lessons? Anybody learned some things the hard way that you wish you'd listen to mom and dad could have saved yourself a lot of trouble, but no, I just had to try it for myself, and I just had to get in that, and now you're doing your best to keep your children from falling in the same trap. That, that's what Solomon's doing. He's just trying to tell his son some things. He's trying to pass along some wisdom, and as he wrote those things to his son, God said, let me write those things to my sons, to my daughters, to my children. Let me just pass along some wisdom, because the truth is we're going to go through stuff in life, and we're going to learn some things, and we want to pass those on to our children so they don't have to endure some of the same stupid things that we did. <clears throat> the truth is, Y'all know the old saying, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, that's the same thing is true with our children. But it doesn't change the fact. It's our job to, to, to teach them. The simple truth is parents can and parents must command obedience in their homes, but we cannot legislate holiness. A decision to know Christ is a personal decision. But we're to give them every opportunity to make that decision. Now, Verse 22 says that these words of wisdom, that they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. One of the constantly repeated themes of Proverbs in both the quality of life and length of life are enhanced by paying attention to the book of wisdom. You want quality of life? Pay attention to the book. You want length of life? Honor your mother and father. Pay attention to the book. It, it's all in there. It, Anybody ever bought a new appliance, refrigerator, washer, dryer, stove, something? You ever bought something? You know when you buy it and you take it out and you go to put it in, it comes with some books, right? Now, one of them is an instruction book. That's the one that we take out and throw away. And we put everything together and we get it fully installed and then we go back to the trash and we get it back out to find out where all these leftover parts go. And most of the time, it was one of the first things that was been put in, so we have to take the whole thing back apart and start all over. You know why? 
Because we didn't read the instructions. But, but not just reading the instructions in the beginning. The instructions are more than just the beginning. It comes with another book. It's called Maintenance. See, the creator of that device knows the best way to take care of that device. The creator of that device knows what you need to do so that it will give you years of long, healthy service. For example, you buy a dryer. You buy a dryer, it's going to tell you about a lint screen. It's going to tell you where the lint screen's at. It's going to tell you how to take it out. And it's going to tell you, if you want this dryer to last, it ain't going to say it like that, but I'm giving it to you in plain English. If you want this dryer to last, every time you dry a set of clothes, take the thing out, clean the lint out, and put it back in before you use it again. It circulates air better. It keeps it from getting stopped up. It'll keep it from overheating. It'll make it dry your clothes better, and it will last for years. It'll tell you about the little things down in the bottom that if your change gets by and goes, you take that and clean that. It'll tell you. And see, here's the deal. What it's telling you is if you take care of this product, it'll take care of you. It is a book that, that tells us how to take care of it. But if you don't do what the book says, then you can't blame the manufacturer when the product fails early. The book's written by the creator of the product on how to take care of what he created. That's what the Word of God is. We are creations of the hand of God. We're much more complex than any machine that man could ever put. And God gave us a book and said, this is how to take care of what I've created. This is how to have a oneness. This is how to have a relationship. This is how to have joy. This is how to have happiness. This is how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is how to walk through the fire and know that Jesus will be with you when you come out on the other side. This is how to live in a storm and be in a boat and focus on Jesus and not on the storm. This is the way. He gives us, he gives us this, this book. And, and in this book, he says, happy is the person who heeds this book and foolish is the one who doesn't. The next few verses, Solomon gives us some ingredients on how to have a holy life. Still in chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth. Glory to God, if I had time to just stop right there. Perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil. So the Holy Spirit, through the hand of Solomon, he gives us the ingredients on how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, in contrast to that, our text this morning tells us about some things that makes God angry. Now, if we look back again at our own lives as parents, are there not some things that we expect from our children? Do, do they not have some things? It may not be a written list, but it's written and etched in their minds, right? If it ain't, it better be. Now, isn't there a list? Don't y'all have some do's and some don'ts in your life? Now, when they do the things, when our children do the things that, that make us happy, we're proud of them. When they do the, you know, there's, anybody have a do not list? Y'all have a do not list? Like, you got some things in your lives you better not do. Mom, daddy's got some leather that's going to talk to you about the situation. Y'all don't talk about if If, if y'all don't have leather, you can borrow mine. It works wonders. I, I, I promise you, it did in my life. I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to stop and preach right here about some tearing some backsides up. But I don't know, maybe I'm going to quench the Holy Spirit. When you do things that are on the do not do list, correction is inevitable. God gives us this very clear, handwritten, detailed list of do's and don'ts. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. How many of you talk bad about the people you love? How many of you tear down, backstab the people that you love? See, but he starts out with some things in the commandments, you know, that, that thou shalt have no other gods before me, and he says that we're not to have any graven images, and we got enough of that. Most of it comes in sports and television and all the things that you're already put before God, so we're already breaking off some of the commandments. But right here, he gives us a list of things that we're not to do. He said, these six things that the Lord hates. Seven, an abomination unto him. So, so let's look at these things for, for just a few minutes. <clears throat> I, I want you to know before I start with this first one, 
This is not an exhaustive list of do not do's. What, what this is, this is the character traits of Satan himself. The things that God has right here, these are character traits of the devil. Oh, everybody do me, do me a favor. Look around the church for a minute. Look around at people. Not one of them is your enemy. You may have odds. You may have differences. Now think about this. Think about somebody outside the church. Do you have anybody you're at odds with? Anybody you're mad at? Anybody made you mad? Anybody said something about you? Anybody got any issues with a person? Can I tell you something? They are not your enemy. The devil is. So, so what Jesus has given us, what God has given us through the Proverbs here in the writing of Solomon, is he's given us the character traits of the devil. He says, I hate a proud look. Boy, there's a lot. Pride's a big deal today. Pride's a big deal. A lot of people, they look down on whoever's below them. Now understand, almost none of them are the highest on the totem pole. Almost none of them are the tallest stalk in the cornfield. But there's some around the edge that's shorter than them. And so they're going to look down on the ones that they can because they're better than them, right? That, that, that's looking down. God hates that. When Satan looked on the throne of God, he looked at it with contempt. He looked at, at God's throne with arrogance. He looked at it with pride, and he wanted to establish his own throne above the throne of God. But when Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, seated on the highest throne, looked down on broken man, he looked down with love. He looked down with compassion. He looked down with mercy. He looked down with grace. So the devil, while looking up on the highest throne of a holy, sovereign, righteous God, looked up with pride and contempt. God hates that. God turns around and looks down at his creation, which is made out of nothing but dust, and says, I love them. Then God says that he hates the lying tongue. It's another character trait of the devil. He, he, the, the devil is the father of all lies, the originator of lies. Lied to Adam and Eve in the start, been lying every since. It is a character trait of the devil, that he is a deceiver. The idiom of his language is the lie. He is the author of all untruth. He is the, the thing that creates error in everything, in religion, he is the heir in the false religions of the world, philosophical, social. He's even the heir in politics. He is the creator, the father of all lies. A stark contrast to Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, and God himself who cannot lie. Jesus said, I am what? I am the way, the what? He cannot lie. And he says he hates the lying tongue. A lie is anything, sorry brother, I don't want to kill your little birthday party story. A lie is anything that's not the truth. It, there's, I don't know who came up with a little white lie. I don't even know what that's supposed to be. But let me tell you what it is. It's an abomination before God. It's something that God hates. It's either a truth or it's a lie. There's not a middle ground. If something's not true, it's a lie. Now, now, we like to sugarcoat it. We like to pass it off. Well, this part of it was true. Well, that part of it's the part you should have stayed with. Because when you took that little bit of a turn, you turned the truth into a lie. And the Bible says that God hates a lie. So, so it's, it's an easy contrast to see from, from, from a holy, righteous God who cannot lie to Satan who is the father of all lies. Then God says that he... He hates hands that shed innocent blood. Can I tell you that's another character trait of the devil? Jesus Christ himself told us that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he said, he's talking to Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. The lust of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Abode not in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Because Eve listened to the devil, her firstborn became a murderer, murdering even his own brother. Since that time, 
All he's worked to do is to create discord amongst men, discord amongst people. He does everything he can to devise wickedness among people. Everything that the devil touches is wickedness and deceit. But if you look at the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, everything they touch is love. Everything they touch is compassion. Everything they touch is healing. When he touched the blind, he gave them sight. When he touched the deaf, he helped them hear. When he touched the leper, he made them whole. Everything that Jesus touches, when he touched, we portray it here of the lame man. When he touched him, he made him walk. The hands of Jesus Christ, the, the hands that, that saved us, the nail-scarred hands that, that did everything for us, the, the nail-scarred hands that forgave the thief on the cross, the nail-scarred hands that shed the blood down, that washed away all of my sins and yours. And, and now we have the scars in those hands that, that, that heals our hurt, bears our burden, carries our pain. The fourth one, verse number 18 goes on, says that, that God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You think you're getting away with something because nobody knows what you think, but God does. Anybody besides me, listen, I, I pray at night. I, I, and I'm not a dreamer, and I don't think that's an accident. I hardly ever dream. My wife tells you, I don't, I don't dream. I don't think it's an accident. Because I like to pray before I go to sleep. God, help, help me. Help, help me not to dream. Most of the time, y'all know dreams are usually something scary, something weird, something left-fieldish. I don't know that I can control the wickedness of my mind in my sleep. So I ask God before I go to sleep, help, help me not to dream. If you got something to show me, show me something good, but, but control my mind. But when you get up in the morning, boy, you better get real about prayer. God, help me control my mind. I'm about to go through another day. And, and, and the Bible talks about these wicked imaginations. Anything that we think unpure is wicked imagination. Anything that you think unpure about a Christian is wicked imagination. And anything that you think impure about anything, period, is called... Listen, we live in a world that ain't nothing but wicked imaginations. You can't watch anything on television because of the commercials. Wicked imagination. Perversion. Filth. Garbage. Try to turn your phone. Try to look at something on your phone. Y'all got them little pop-up games that'll pop up on your phone. And, and the games, listen, I hope you guys don't play this garbage because it is filth. Every game I see is about bloodshed. There, there's games they can play on their phone about shooting police officers, high-rise buildings, shooting innocent people. Even if you're fighting a marshal, they show blood spurting everywhere. It's called wicked imaginations. And you take, that's what, that's what this world is putting out. That's what society is putting out. God help us. Besides God, you're the only one that, that knows your thoughts. You're the only one that knows whether or not your thoughts are pleasing to God. According to Genesis chapter 5, Abraham lived for 930 years. He lived long enough to see the evidence of his mistake. He lived long enough to see the depravity of man. He lived long enough to see the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God hates the evil, wicked imaginations of man so much that Genesis 6, 6 says that it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, Creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have even made them. Thank God for Noah that come along in verse number 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is so repented over the wicked imaginations of man, he says, I'm just going to get rid of them. Well, we live in a world today that is full of wicked imaginations. It's all around us, everything about us. When a Christian thinks anything that is unpure, it's a wicked imagination. It is contrast to the things of God. Number five, God hates feet that be swift in running to mischief. The Hebrew word used there for mischief, it means adversity. It means affliction. 
I tried to change it over and do some studying. I wasn't smart enough, but I'm pretty positive if I was smart enough to get that from Hebrew to Greek and get it changed around, I'm sure somewhere it converts over to work all gossip. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it probably, that's Yanceology, y'all know that, right? I don't have anything to back that up, but I'm pretty sure it would be something like gossip because we have a world full of feet running to mischief today, and the church is no exception. We have a world full of feet running to mischief, and Christians are fully involved in it. You, you, let, you let something mischief get going on, you include the church, and well, people flock to it like bees on honey. The dirtier the story, the more attention it attracts. You know, the truth in today's world, we'll put this service on the Internet. A handful of people will watch it. You can put something good about your life. You can put a scripture. You can put a positive devotion. You can put something that helped you. You can put that your, your cousin got saved and, and, and dedicated his life. You can put that somebody in your church was called to preach. You can put that you had a missionary come. You can put that a young man on this day surrendered his life to the mission field. You can put all the things about God out there you want. You can put all the good stuff out there, and a handful of people will look at it. One or two might comment on it. But you put mischief out there, and the feet are swift to run to it. Oh, you put something nasty, you put something mean, you put something brutal out there, within 24 hours, it's viral. And can I tell you something? The world ain't the only cell phones looking at it. The church, there's people sitting in church right now on Sunday morning, got their Facebook page open looking at it. The others are asleep. We, we live in this world that, that feet run to mischief, but it's because of the church. We're, we're supposed to be the examples. We're supposed to be the trendsetters, something different. I, I, I want to read a passage. I'm going to read it again. I usually quote this, and I use it a lot, and I know what somebody's going to say. You use that all the time. Why do you use it all the time? Because we ain't got it yet. Anybody ever listen to Dr. Charles Stanley? Y'all know what Dr. Charles Stanley says before he goes back and reads the passage, right? Watch this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Watch this. I heard him one time. He said, you know why I'll tell you to watch this? Because I want you to watch this. So, so I'm, I know I use this a lot, but, but we ain't got it yet. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That, that's you and I. That's Christians. That's in the church. Love one another. But there, here's, the, here's the text. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. You think the world out there knows we're disciples with all the backbiting and garbage and cheap talk that goes on? Jesus says, by this, not, not by what you say out there, not by what church you go to, not, not by how many devotions you do or what you, but, but that you love one another. See, the reason the world can't recognize the church from being any different is because there's too much gossip going on in the church. The reason the world can't recognize the church as being any different is there's too much backstabbing in the church. The reason the world can't recognize the church as being any different is because there's too much backbiting, too much garbage, too much stirring around, too much rumors, too much. Listen, negativity breeds negativity. You want to be negative, all you got to do is be negative and they'll flock to you. Negativity breeds negativity. So not only do feet run to mischief in the church, but they don't put a stop to it when it comes to them. You want to know why garbage comes to you? Because you got an open ear. Remember what I told y'all when I started, right? Y'all mind if I preach something to you out of love? Y'all don't forget that part. Y'all don't forget that part. I, I pray that God will help me deliver with the same kind of love and compassion that he delivers to me. Because I promise you, I ain't got this right. So I have to get these backlashings. And, and I hope you understand that, that, that I love you, and so does God. And God's looking to do something great in this church. But before he can, he's got to get some stuff straight. When, when garbage comes to you, if you don't stop it, then you're a partaker of it. It's been a few years ago, <coughs> somebody came. It's getting less. And somebody come, and they came and said, man, I want to tell you what so-and-so said about you. Well, see, I'm always a little nervous about that. Because what that tells me is right now you're talking to me, but not too long ago you were talking about me. Well, well, well let, me, let, me, let me tell you what, what so-and-so said. I, there's two things that I want to know, 
and neither one of them are what they said. Number one, I want to know, I'm not worried about what they said to you. What did you say to them? What was your answer to them? You know what you get back? Oh, I, I didn't say nothing, man. I just quietly let them talk. You know what that said to them? They agree 100%. And they went and told somebody else that you said it because you listened to it. If you're not willing to put a stop to it, then it's just going to keep on going. I, I can tell you the second thing that I want to know, and it still ain't what they said. I want to know why are they so comfortable saying it to you? So you got to be a listening ear, and they got to think you're thinking somewhere along that line, or they didn't come to you in the first place. So what is it that makes them so comfortable that they can come to you and, and talk about this? I read a quote about three weeks ago. It said, don't be upset when God moves people out of your life because he heard conversations that you haven't heard. Well, that was free. If you'll stop gossip in its place, it'll stop coming in your direction. The reason that, that drama always seems to be around certain people is because their feet are swift to running into mischief. They're always in the middle of it. They always got to know details. They got to know a little bit more about it. Oh, I'm not part of it. You're a lie. You are. You know why drama surrounds you? Because you're in the middle of drama. If you put a stop to it, it won't come to you. I promise you that. Your life will get a whole lot quieter. I tell you something, the closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to true Christians and the less friends you're going to have around you. It's kind of like a marriage. We talked about that in a staff meeting or something the other day. We talked maybe Wednesday night in the church. But, but the church, you know, in a marriage, I, I tell couples, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. He has to be the centerpiece. And when you draw close to God, you draw close to one another. The church is the same. God is the centerpiece. Christ is the centerpiece. If everybody in here drew close to God, then we'd be close to one another. And if we were close to one another, it wouldn't be getting close enough to slide the knife in your back, but to hug you with love and compassion. <laughs> I might well go ahead and say it, right? If it made it this far, I might well go ahead and let it out, right? You're to love people unconditionally in spite of their faults the same way God loves you in spite of yours he didn't look till we got perfect to save us while we were yet sinners on my worst day and my worst sin and my deepest darkest day that's the one that Jesus reached down to the bottom and died for that he might make us holy and perfect in his eyes then verse number 19 it goes on and says, a false witness that speaketh lies. I won't spend a lot of time there. That, that, that is somebody who hears gossip and spreads it. He talks about it, hates a lying tongue, a lie is a lie. It's anything that's not the truth. But a false witness, that's somebody that spreads gossip about somebody. That's trying to tear down somebody's character. That's trying to, to, to ruin somebody's character. That's taking, and whether it's a truth or a lie, if it's negative to, to spread it, it is a false witness. So the text says that there's six things that the Lord hates. Seven is an abomination. Now, before I look at number seven, let, let's look at what an abomination is real quick. I, I, we, we need to all get on the same page. I want you to understand the seriousness of this. The word abomination, it means that it is detestable to God. Something that he abhors. In other words, it is something that makes God sick to his stomach. Now, let me give you this one for free so all the church can jump on the bandwagon and we all know it's right. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, we're getting the law, and the law speaks, God speaks clearly against homosexuality. Joel Osteen may not know the answer, but I do. It's a sin. It's a sin against God. It's a curse against nature. It's evil. It's an abomination. He said, Luke 18, 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Chapter 20, verse 13, if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, that's God's view of the sin of homosexuality. 
I don't care what the commercials show, the filth, the garbage. I don't care what the world says. I don't hate the homosexual. I hate the sin. I don't hate the person doing it. I hate the sin that's in them. It's not them. It's the devil. It's of the devil. It's a sin. It's wickedness. It makes you sick. When you're watching a commercial, it makes you want to puke. When it comes on, it is an abomination. Well, let me tell you what else is an abomination before God. Exact same word doesn't change. Same thing makes God sick, makes God want to throw up. He abhors it. He that soweth discord among the brethren. If you think that you can talk about other Christians and it's not going to cost you, you are gravely mistaken. If you think you can spread rumors in the church and it's not going to cost you, you are gravely mistaken. If you think you can sow discord and stir up stuff and create things in here, you are gravely mistaken. You think you can tear people down with your lips, run your mouth behind people's back, say other things about them, and that it's not going to cost you? You are gravely mistaken. Can I tell you, not only is it offensive to God, but it's offensive to other Christians? That's my brothers and sisters you're talking about. You don't talk about my family. My family. I was raised that way. You don't talk about my sisters. I had two. You don't talk about my family. It's the same in the family of God. Don't, 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 don't talk about the people that I love. Don't talk about the people that, that, that I care about. Not only that, but discord hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. Discord kills the worship service. Discord keeps God from doing what he intends to do. Discord is handcuffs on a sovereign God. You say God can do anything. You're right, he can, but he won't. He won't force himself on anybody. Raise your hand if you were forced to be saved. Raise your hand if you're forced to serve God. God's not going to force you to do anything. He's going to give you a book, and he's going to say, here's a list of the do's, and here's a list of the don'ts, and this is what I want you to do. And these are the things that, that I don't want you to do. The Apostle Paul, he didn't have any problems putting people in their place who were causing discord in the New Testament church. The Apostle Paul, under the, the touch of the Holy Spirit, didn't mind dealing with things. Everything that Paul writes, every letter deals with something that is going on in the church. And here's what it all boils down to. They're characteristics of Satan. The devil is a deceiver. All he wants to do is stir up stuff between you to keep God from using you and I, Christians, from being what God wants us to be. He stirred up Cain against Abel so much so that he killed his own brother. He stirs up Ishmael against Isaac. He stirs up Esau against his brother Jacob. He stirs up the sons of Jacob against their brother Joseph. And he hasn't changed. Discord is his middle name. And if the devil can put discord in a church, he can keep it from being everything that God wants it to be. Do you know, I'm almost done. I'll be through by one. Do you know if you have any of this in your life, not only can you not pray, but you can't praise. Not, not, only, not only is your entrance into the throne room affected so that you can't pray effectively for the sick, for the hurting. Not only is your entrance into the throne room of grace affected that you can't go in and obtain mercy. But your entrance into the th throne room is affected that you can't even praise God. If this is in your life, God hates it. He wants no part of it. And Jesus made it very clear. He was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and he said, Whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever will do them and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, which means he's worthless, shall, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. 
Verse number 23, he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Let me time out right there for a minute. What gift do you have that you can give God? Is anybody in here so wealthy that you can make the creator of the universe wealthier? Does anybody in here own so much that you can impress the one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the thousand hills and the earth of the thousand hills and the universe of the earth? Does anybody have anything that you can give God as a gift that would impress a God who spoke all things into existence? You have one thing in your life, one thing that you can give God that is a gift, that you can offer as a gift. That is your praise. That is your worship to praise a sovereign God, to thank him for saving your soul, redeeming your life. That's the only gift you got. You have nothing else you can give God that is a gift. And here's what he said. If you bring your gift to the altar, rememberest there thou hath a brother hath ought against thee. Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to the brother. Then come off for thy gift. Jesus said, you come into the throne room of God to praise the Father, and you remember you got some junk going on in your life between you and somebody else, a brother. You go get that stuff right. Don't waste your time to try to praise me now. You just leave your gift laying right here because it ain't doing you no good. I'm not going to take it and you can't carry it with you. You go fix some stuff right. You, you go apologize to somebody. You go get some discord straightened out. Then you come on back. Then you pick your gift up. Now you can offer your praise. That's what Jesus said. I wonder how many Christians today are living defeated lives this morning because they have things in their life that they just won't let go. They're carrying anger, they're carrying bitterness, they're carrying stuff, they're carrying grudges, they're starting rumors. I heard so-and-so say something, so I'm mad. I wonder how many Christians are living a defeated life on a Sunday morning because you're letting the devil get the best of you. You're letting the devil stir stuff up. People, in spite of the fact that we're saved, in spite of the fact that all of our sins are washed away, in spite of the fact that death, hell, and the grave has been defeated, In spite of the fact that Jesus said, be of good courage, I've overcome the world. In spite of the fact that Jesus is Lord of our life, people are hindered because they have not learned to control what James says, the tongue. That that wicked tongue. That, That one little bitty piece that destroys the whole life. Destroys everything that's going on. Jesus Christ. Jesus, Lord of our life, Jesus. Say the name Jesus. Demons got to flee, Jesus. Everything's about Jesus, greatest man that ever lived. I read a thing this week. It said he had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, but they called him teacher. He had no medicines, but they called him healer. He had no army. The kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, but he was crucified for our sins. He was buried in a grave, yet he's alive and well. King of kings and Lord of lords. I wonder how many Christians are living a defeated life because they will not get the things out of their life that God hates. I read a poem this week. I guess it's a poem. I want to read it to you. I'm done. Band, you guys can come on. It's called Hate Has Four Letters. Anybody listening? Pretty good. I don't think you want to miss it. Hate has four letters. So does love. Enemies has seven letters. So does friends. Lying has five letters. So does truth. Negative has eight letters, so does positive. Under has five letters, so does above. Cry has three letters, so does joy. Anger has five letters, so does happy. Wrong has five letters, so does right. Hurt has four letters, so does heal. It means that life is like a two-edged sword. For every negative, there's a positive, And for every positive, there's a negative. So choose the positive. Yeah, it's a plaque I pulled up. I tried it. I was going to try to get what I get, but I couldn't get it to copy like I wanted to. But it's really simple. 
when we go about doing good, we're like Christ. When we go about doing any of these things, we're like Satan. Oh, I'm not like the devil. Well, yes, yes, actually you are. Those are characteristic traits. And the characteristic traits that we display, that's who we're like. So when we go about doing good, according to the scriptures, we're like Christ. Anything else is like Jesus said of the Pharisees, is like your father, the devil. If we truly are redeemed, I mean, if we truly are born again, we, we've been set free from the chains that once held us, then why do we choose to act like that world? If we truly are set free from the wickedness that we were delivered from, then why do we bring that stuff in here and let it create discord among the family? Who we imitate is who we love, and who we love is who we'll serve. I want to ask you guys to stand where you are. I'm going to ask you if, if we could pray in one accord. It doesn't matter to me. If you pray where you're standing, you sit in your pew, the altar's always open if you want to come. I'll tell you this. The more we try to serve God, the more the devil's coming after us. Same's true in your life. The closer you try to walk with God, the more the devil's coming after you. You think he's bothered by you sitting on that pew this morning? He couldn't care less. As long as you don't get up and tell somebody about Jesus, he ain't worried about you. As long as you're going to church on Sunday morning and telling people you're going to church on Sunday morning but then gossiping about people all week, he ain't worried about you. You're one of the best mouthpieces he's got. You, you think he's worried about people just coming to church every once in a while on Sunday morning? Oh, no. No, no, he's not. But you decide you want to serve God. You decide you want to live for God. You decide you're going to read the Bible every day. You decide you're going to tell people about Jesus. You decide, I'm going to clean up. I'm, I'm, I'm not gossiping about anybody else. I'm going to put a stop to that. I, I'm going to start living a life pleasing to God as best as I can. Don't be surprised when the demons of hell come against you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. They'll come, but they'll fail. They're just things to help you learn strength, to make you grow stronger, to grow in faith. But the same thing is true with the church. The more a church truly wants to serve as the body of Christ, to be used by God, the devil's going to do whatever he can to try to tear down that church. And he's going to try to work from the inside out. And he's going to look for whoever he can get. The farthest to the inside piece he can get, that's the one he wants to get to. Don't let it be you. Don't, don't let the devil use us as a mouthpiece for him. Would, would you gather this morning... Here or here, it doesn't matter in this building. Are we willing to pray together in one accord? God, help us be one. Help us be united as one. Help us be together as one. Here's you a nice little prayer. Forgive me for, the, for my sin. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong. Forgive me for my part in it. Forgive me for saying it or forgive me for listening to it. Not putting a stop to it. Just forgive me. But will you help us as a church be everything that you'd have us to be? It's got to start somewhere. For me, it's got to start with the man in the mirror. For you, it's got to start with the person in the mirror. If we want God to do something great here, it's got to start here. Go ahead and sing, guys. If you would, if we just take a few minutes and pray this morning. Pray for this church. Pray for God to use this church.